0: In our series, God and our time is what we're looking at today. Dare to be different is our series. I I just want to ask, who really likes these visual images here with the pencils? Who's the fan? I think they're absolutely brilliant, aren't they? Because not only do they really capture that call to live distinctively, but they also predict very accurately the makeup of the House of Commons after the general election. So, (laughs) it's it's genius. (laughs) And of course, with the election coming up, It's a ridiculously busy time for politicians. In fact, I heard on Thursday, Tim told me that apparently someone turned on Jeremy Corbyn's computer this week and he discovered 30,000 unread emails. So, it's interesting, is it? It wasn't clear whether he also discovered the draft Labour manifesto and emailed it to the head of every national newspaper. But there we go. So, politics. It's a busy time if you're a politician. But I just wonder whether it's also a busy time for you. Do you relate to that sense of being overwhelmed with emails? Or do you relate to that sense of actually your diary is so full, you just feel overwhelmed? And you just actually wonder whether God's will can really be done when you feel that busy. I think it's something that a lot of Christians in today's age can identify with. We know that most people work significantly harder than people did a generation ago. The pressures on our time are significant. And to be honest, I can relate to that. This week, I had a really, really difficult week. I had so much on, services morning and evening last Sunday. I had meetings all day Monday, PCC Monday evening, looking after the children Tuesday, Wednesday a funeral and then finding your place Thursday, uh, in London all day, and then growing leaders. And I found myself looking ahead to that week, saying, God, please help me. I have no time to write my sermon on time. The irony was not lost on me, but at least it gave me my opening joke, so that was helpful. But actually, it was really helpful. I think God um, made it like this, because it forced me this week to actually really plan my time more effectively. I knew I wouldn't have much time. So when I had moments on Monday and on Wednesday that I could just carve out to do a bit of work in it, I I took that. And actually, I found that I got everything done. The sermon got written on time. Nearly everything else did too. And I'm feeling a little less hypocritical preaching on this topic than I thought I would a week or so ago. And to be fair, I gave myself this sermon because I thought it would help me as well as you. Time management is not my natural home turf, and yet it's very important. Why? Well, here's the reality, I think, for many of us, certainly if we're still working. We feel like we're too busy most of the time, and it can really stress us out. Can anything be done? And to begin to answer that question, here's the key thing that I want to stress right at the start of this sermon, and it's a hugely important point. We've all got enough time to do everything that God asks of us. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. But do you understand why? Because God knows absolutely how, time, how much time we've got. And he knows that's the same for everyone, actually, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he knows exactly how long things take. So he will only call us to things he knows we have the time and other resources to accomplish whether individually or collectively. So what that means is that if we feel too busy to do what God wants us to do, the problem lies with us, not with him. And the solution is we need to prioritise, we need to plan, but it also means we need to see time as God sees it, as the Bible sees it. So that's what we're focusing on today. I want to highlight four principles taken from Scripture to guide us in how we view and make use of our time. And we're going to have the readings uh, this time interspersed with the sermon. So before we turn to the first of them, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that speaks truth into our hearts, that speaks wisdom into our lifestyles, That speaks hope into our despair, into our sense of stress or being overwhelmed. And Lord, as we think about this important topic of time, Lord, would you speak to us, show us the way through the demands that we face, show us the ways in which we can truly be the people with the ministry and with the service that you call us to be. Help us to manage our time, and help us to see our time as you see it. Thank you, Father. Amen. So Ian and Yvonne are going to bring us our readings at various points, so uh, over to you. I hope. Okay, they're obviously not here, so that's interesting. I'll carry on. Right, here we go. First uh, reading is on the screen. 2 Timothy four. 1 to 8. So, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So, what's my first principle then? It's this. We need to see our time in the light of eternity. For look at how Paul bookended that passage, speaking first of all about, uh, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, and then at the end of the passage, talking about how the righteous judge will award to him on that day and to all of us who have longed for his appearing, the crown of righteousness. It's a focus on eternity, on heaven. What is Paul saying? He's saying that the reality of eternity in heaven for all who follow Jesus transforms our perspective on the present. Why? Because we've got eternity in paradise to look forward to. And the hardships and struggles of this life are but a fleeting moment in comparison. So for us, it's not a case of this life is all it is, which means we don't need to strive to try and experience and possess everything we've ever wanted in this life. For we've got eternity to enjoy something far better. We're liberated from having to do everything now. And yet the perspective of eternity also focuses our mind on the desperate need to tell others about Jesus, for it has eternal consequences. And it leaves us in the position that we don't have to live selfishly. Rather, because we have everything to look forward to through Jesus, we can afford to live unselfishly now, loving our fellow human beings by sharing the wonderful news of Jesus with them, of what he has done for them. It's the greatest thing we can do for anyone, to make them aware of the greatest gift that has ever been given. It's also what Jesus called us to in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Add the Great Commission to the great commandment that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul and mind and love our neighbours as ourselves. And then we surely have the overall objectives to which all of our use of time should conform. And so the freedom that we enjoy through Jesus... To be the people God made us to be and enjoy our forgiveness and friendship with Him comes with responsibility. We are charged, like Timothy, to share that good news, to wear our faith on our sleeve, to be open about what God has done in our lives. With Paul's specific charge to Timothy to endure hardship, to do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, few of us have got a leadership role quite like his, as a sort of church planter, overseer, evangelist. But we share the same eternal perspective on what really matters in life. And we're to hold on to that, to the end of our lives. That is the finishing line. For Paul, it was the crown of righteousness at the end, that he had fought the good fight, he had carried on witnessing. And for us too, there's no retirement from sharing our faith. But the hardship we're often called to endure is that not everyone will like our message. We'll get some pushback from some people, increasingly so, today. But let's be clear, that's a small price to pay for a potentially huge prize. For some will welcome that message. Some will come to faith. And be sure they will be eternally grateful that we were willing to take that risk. As Paul put it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The implication is clear, that Christ's love should compel us all to share his message wherever we can, whenever we can, for as long as we can. And the goal of the message is that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for Jesus. Which brings us on to our second principle then. We're stewards, not owners. The opposite of what we see on that image on the screen. It's not all about us. We thought thought about this before, haven't we, in relation to our money, when we had the gift day, when we had the stewardship campaign. We thought about it in terms of our gifts last week. But just as we are called to use our resources those resources for the good of the kingdom. So we are to use the years, months, days and hours we have left in this life too. And the good news is we don't have to work it out on our own. We don't have to work out what that means and looks like. God knows how best we should use our time. We just need to ask him, listen to him and obey him. How does he tell us? Well, he does it through his word. That's what constitutes our primary calling in the words of Tim on Wednesday, if you're at Finding Your Place. Tim was saying our primary calling is that which all Christians share, that which the Bible reveals we're all called to do those things. But there's also a secondary calling, which are the purposes of God that are particular to us. That's what that course is being run to do, to allow us to discern those that calling of God, particular to us in this next season, in our situation. And it's tailored to your gifts, your personality, your situation, your opportunities, your experiences, your skill. And it includes things that only you can do. Remember that key verse, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. us to do. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? He prepared them. And if he's prepared them in advance, you can be sure they're going to have an impact and that we need to be doing them. So we've established two related principles so far. The perspective of eternity and that God is in charge. Time is a gift to be used for sharing our faith and for the good of the kingdom. So let's now hear our next passage from Luke. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So what's the third principle then? It's that it's not just about doing things but it's actually listening to Jesus and being with him. That's what needs to come first. Only one thing was needed, Jesus told Martha, which is not to say the things she would, she was doing were wrong. Of course they weren't. They were good things. But Jesus said what he did, and it was recorded as it was, so we would know our relationship with him comes first. We need to be spending time with him, learning from him, We need to be growing in our relationship with him and then serving him as an outworking of that. If we neglect the former and simply do those works of service that we're uh, committed to doing, it just becomes drudgery. Something we do out of of obligation with no passion and no joy. People will notice. We're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to have the impact it could have. So what is my challenge around this? It's this. Identify what works for you as an individual to draw closer to Jesus and make that a priority. And it's going to be different things for different people. For some, it will be the sort of old-fashioned quiet time of prayer and reading the Bible. I love that personally. That's what feeds me. It could be listening to a podcast. It could be being out in the countryside, allowing creation to, To grow your relationship with God, it could be listening to worship music or choral music, it could be meditating on a work of art or a verse of scripture. Whatever it is, prioritize it. It's about learning before laboring, worshipping before witnessing, and more generally, it's about knowing and experiencing that life with God and life in obedience to God is a pleasure, not a chore. Isaiah 55 famously invited us, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Or as the famous opening shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith drawn up in 1646 to which so many of our Protestant denominations have signed up and it asks this. What is the chief end of man? To which the answer is given that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Which is connected, of course, to the important biblical principle of the Sabbath. You won't enjoy life if you work every day. You won't enjoy life if you don't rest and recover and seek refreshment physically spiritually and emotionally which is connected in turn to the biblical principle that time is our friend not our enemy. If God calls us to enjoy life and to enjoy him forever and has purposes designed to bless us and bless others phrases that use battle language to portray time negatively simply make no sense. Phrases like time is against us, time presses in on us or killing time. We find ourselves saying those things, don't we? But actually, this is the truth of it. A theologian called Sam Wells, who I actually was with on Thursday, and who is was married to the Bishop of Dorking, he said this in one of his books, and it's been quoted many times. Time is a gift, because it is God's time, not one's own. And time is a friend, because there is nothing to fear from what God has in store. Time is on our side. One cannot buy time with God. One must learn to enjoy God's time. So, let's turn to our final reading and our final principle. It's from Colossians 4 this time. And this is what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, what's my final principle then? It's that the power to do all this and to have a real impact on the world can only come through prayer. We have our part to play in being intentional about all of these things. But without prayer, it's fairly pointless. Paul instructs the Colossians to devote themselves to prayer. That's not the language of occasional communication. It's about bringing every minute of every day to God. Which is not say, pray every minute of the day. Of course not. Jesus didn't do that. And we certainly aren't expected to. But he did bring everything to God in prayer. Every situation. Every significant challenge that he faced. Every opportunity. So for us then, it's about having given the whole day to God before we live it. And bringing any important situation to God so we can be confident it's in his hands. It's about asking him to inspire our words, to rekindle our hearts every day so that we go into that day with the peace and confidence that we can discern his voice, that we can walk in his will and that we can be used powerfully by him. And it's clear that Paul uh, wrote all of that because he thought it would make a difference, absolutely. He genuinely believed that Colossians' prayer would open a door for the gospel and that it really would help him to proclaim it clearly. And he really did think devoting themselves to prayer would help ensure they made the most of every opportunity, that their conversation would be full of grace, that they really would know how to answer everyone. So what then is a biblical approach to time? It's to say that everything we do and every hour of each day should be infused by prayer because it's God's time, not ours, And he wants us to enjoy it with him. And he wants us to join in with what he is doing in the world. So, we've established four important principles to guide us in our attitude towards time. I want to return now to the key thing I stressed right at the beginning of this sermon, which was that we've all got enough time to do everything that God asks of us. And that when we feel too busy to do what God wants us to do, the problem lies with us, not with him. And that the solution is the need to prioritise, to plan. And when we have a plan, to put it into practice. So what then should be our priorities? Well, of course, if we're of working age and we have a job, we need to work, we need to do what we're paid to do. Though we don't need to overwork, and sadly, many of us are tempted to do that. And of course, if we're a parent and we have dependent children, we need to care for them, we need to love them. Or if we have elderly dependent parents or other relatives, we need to care for them. These things are non-negotiable. We need exercise, we need to eat, we need to sleep. Of course, all of those things need to happen. But what we've learnt today is how all these things we need to do need to happen that we should do everything with an eternal perspective and the truth of the gospel in mind, that we should do everything knowing we are here to serve God and not ourselves. We should do everything out of the joy and thankfulness that comes from spending regular time with Jesus. And we should do everything through the power of prayer, which can bring all things into alignment with the will of God. And leave us plenty of time for other things as well. Which leads me to a final question. Am I and are you managing your and my time effectively? Is how you believe you should spend your time equating with what you actually do spend your time on. Because at the end of the day, we will never be more effective in our service of God than our effectiveness in managing Our time. Managing our time well means what we want to be doing is actually what we are doing, which comes down to planning our time, ring-fencing our time to make sure the most important things have the priority and that we then give them that time, at least more often than not. Now, of course, life is full of unpredictable things that sometimes occur. We need flexibility, we need adaptability to cope with that. Life can never be fully planned. But equally, a life that is never planned will never be fully fruitful. So, where are you at? Do you plan your time enough? And do you plan it as if it's yours or God's? And when it's planned, do you stick to it? Or are you diverted off course time and time again? Again? What we're going to do now is just take a minute or so just to ponder that question or those questions. I invite you to be honest with God and I invite you to invite him to be honest with you. See what comes of it. And then we're going to have a time of confession before Tim leads us into the prayers for healing time.